Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Jimmy. And I am Josh. And this is the culmination. This is the grand finale of our three-part segment on answering the questions raised by the movie, Leaving My Father's Faith. Hopefully by this time you have it memorized, the movie. You can get it on Amazon other places, and you can rent it. It's the story of Tony Campolo, who we have had on the show, his son, Bart Campolo, who was very active in his father's ministry and working with the disadvantaged in, in, in the inner city, and was for several years, and now has become an atheist. And that movie is their conversation, their story. We've already heard all this, Chimbo. Not if someone came in late. No, that's true. And they went, oh, is the Bible true? I'll listen to that one. I stand corrected. Yes. I I, I actually sit corrected. Yeah, you sit corrected. Still not interested, but... What we've been doing is we've been taking the three major stumbling blocks. In the movie, it's depicted as a Jenga tower, one piece of wood being taken out, which was the existence of, of evil and suffering we dealt with two weeks ago. The second piece taken out of Bart Campolo's Jenga Tower was universalism, all roads lead to heaven. And then the one that made it tump over was, is the Bible true? Actually true. And here's how we have it set up. He went to college and he was taught that all homosexuals were going to burn in hell. And he met two homosexuals and he said they were great guys. He really liked them. And so he said to himself, my theology, what I understand about the Bible is these guys are going to go to hell and they're horrible, perverted people, and they're great people. Therefore, the Bible has to be wrong about this. And if the Bible is wrong about that, then what else is the Bible wrong about? And that is when his Jenga Tower of Faith fell over. And when he kind of came to that the Bible is not trustworthy. So what we've been doing is we have Andy Bannister the author of the book, The Atheist, who wasn't there, who isn't there, that doesn't exist. Yeah. Great apologetics guy. Amazing. I hope you've really enjoyed him. We just love Andy. He's amazing. He's answered each one of these. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Andy Bannister, Dr. Andrew Bannister, as he addresses this idea of, can the Bible be trusted? So, Andy, the third stumbling block that was shared by Bart Campolo in the film, it kind of can be summed up in this quote. He said, in college, I had a couple of gay roommates. My theology at that point told me that since they were gay, they were an abomination before God. And unless they gave up being gay and converted, they were going to go to hell. So since basically I considered them good friends, I concluded that the Bible was wrong on this issue. Therefore, if the Bible can be wrong about this, the Bible can be wrong about other things. Therefore, the Bible cannot be considered a trustworthy source of faith. 
without having to get into the homosexuality issue, yeah. much more about is the Bible true? Or no, not? that's right. Let's focus on that for a moment. I mean, I think a couple of things interest me here. The first one, again, is about Bart personally. If if before he had some nice gay friends, Bart believed that homosexuality was wrong, and then afterwards, when he met a couple of nice gay people, he changed his view, that shows that the only reason he was against homosexuality beforehand was because he was a bigot. He was a bigot and utterly intolerant, and then he met somebody who changed his view. Um, you see, because those of us who are Christians and take the Bible's teaching seriously believe what we do about, about sexuality, not because we're discriminating against friends who are LGB or T, and to go, many of us have friends in those communities we care dearly for, but because we hold to what the Bible, the Bible teaches and believe it, believe it to be true. But in Bart's case, it sounds like he was a completely, you know, sort of, uh, you know, intolerant bigot before he happened to meet a couple of gay friends who then, uh, who then put his compassion glands straight. So that's interesting, right, right from the beginning. Second thing I'd want to say uh, to Bart's comment there is, you know, the interesting thing is if, if the Bible really is the word of God, as, as, as Christians believe it to be, I wonder if Bart has ever considered the fact that presumably it would say things that disagree with him. I would I'd want to gently ask him the question, is he really thinking that the job of, of, the, of the Bible is to line up with everything that he thinks? So here's Bart, uh, you know, sort of sophisticated, urbane, intelligent uh, Westerner, and he opens the scriptures and basically should say, yeah, Bart, you know what, you're absolutely right on everything. Yeah, your life is great, everything you believe is right, thumbs up, keep going. Or should the Bible actually challenge us profoundly? And more than that... If the Bible was written by God to be God's, you know, God's revelation, uh, not just to 21st century Westerners, but to cultures around the world and throughout time, then presumably there'll be parts of the Bible that challenge every culture at some point. So, for example, you know, here in the here in the West, you know, folks like Bart look at what the Bible says about sexuality and think, oh, gosh, that's uh, I'm not sure I agree with that. And they look at what the Bible perhaps says about human value and freedom and they think, well, that's great. Uh, go to the Middle East, on the other hand, and I can I would I could take Bart to Middle Eastern countries where Middle Easterners will look at what the Bible says about sexuality and say that's fantastic. Probably doesn't actually go far enough, but it's pretty good. And they'll look at what the Bible says about human value and freedom and say, hang on a minute, I'm not so sure about that. And isn't it interesting that the Bible challenges uh, some parts of every culture and affirms some part of every culture, which is precisely what you'd expect. But this ultimately is an authority question. This ultimately comes down to the question of what am I actually going to, to going to trust? Am I going to trust my own opinions and ideas and uh, prejudices and uh, preferences? Or am I going to say, well, okay, for whatever reasons, I'm going to trust, trust Scripture. And there's a whole different series of discussions there as to why I think Scripture is trustworthy. But really, it's an authority question. And I actually think that's the primary question. When it comes to when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to us as human beings, because all of us like to think we're something. We all like to think that we're clever and sophisticated and wise and all of these things. And the challenge of the gospel is along comes the gospel and says, well, actually, just a moment. It's not as straightforward as that. You're not as brilliant as you think you are. You're not as well read as you think you are. You're not as, uh, you know, you're not as, uh, yeah, just really uh, there are some issues in your life that need addressing. And the question becomes, are we willing to submit to that and, uh, and allow the Bible to, in a sense, read us? Or are we going to, the first time it challenges us, we're going to dismiss it? So that's a part of where I'd want to respond. The other thing as well, actually, try the third thing very quickly to the list. I'd also be very worried about the theology Bart had picked up, because I don't see scripture as uh, describing gay people the way that he apparently, you say, describes in that movie. What I see scripture as saying is that all human beings have areas of our lives where we fall short of God, God's ideal. All of us have our hearts that are twisted and broken. 
And, uh, and all of us have areas of our lives where we are profoundly fallen. And as the Russian writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn once put it, he said, you know, the dividing line between good and evil runs right through the middle of every human heart. And, and so, in a sense, it's not the, it's not the homosexuality that's going to, you know, that send, someone to, to send someone to hell or not. You don't, God doesn't decide, determine who, uh, whether someone is, ends up in hell on the basis of whether they're heterosexual or homosexual. What will ultimately determine whether you spend eternity in God's presence or not is what's uh, the center of your life. Have, is Christ the center of your life? Is God the center of your life? Or have you replaced him with some other, other idol? Have you made an idol out of your sexuality? or out of some particular relationship, or out of your finances, or your career, or your bank balance, or your, or your self-image, or all of these things. And uh, the human heart is an idol-making factory, and that's what one of the things that Jesus came to deal with. I hear you saying that it doesn't make sense for humanity to choose for themselves what ultimately is true, because truth is different in each culture, that it makes sense to have an authority outside the human head and human heart because of those cultural changes. Well, I guess that's part of what I'm, I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's a, there's a tendency as human beings that we look at the culture around us, we project that onto everybody else, and we, fo- we swallow what lines up with that, and we reject what doesn't. So here in the West, we tend to live in very sort of liberal, you know, increasingly progressive, um, you know, secular democracies. And so anything that lines up with that, like Marx, you know, apparently describes in that movie, well, oh, yeah, well, that must be right. And if the Bible disagrees with that, it must be wrong. But of course, if you go to the Middle East, you know, most Middle Easterners think we in the West are utterly barbarian. Um, I mean, that comes as a real surprise when you listen to Middle Easterners. You think that Westerners are just some of the most, you know, ignorant, barbarous savages, savages on the planet. You know, because we have no respect for culture, for our for, for tradition or our elders. We have no respect for marriage. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. And uh, in fact, uh, a good friend of mine called Mike Pierce wrote a, a wonderful book a few years ago. You can find it on, on Amazon called Why the Rest Hate the West. And it's an eye-opening read um, because it does a very good job of describing how non-Westerners see us here in the West. And all of us have a tendency to view reality through our cultural lens. And I think the Bible does this beautiful job of, of stepping outside that, of challenging and critiquing all cultures, but not stopping there. It goes further and challenges and critiques all hearts. And I think one of the things I find unique about Scripture, about the Bible, is that the more I read it, the more I find it reading me. Um, and I think if, as you read Scripture, you only find it lining up with your own prejudices and your own preferences, you're not reading it right. One of the things that I think you know, certainly is a paradigm today in Western culture is that really, really smart, educated people do not believe that the Bible is true. And sort of simpleton, uneducated people cling to their guns in religion and cling to this myth that the Bible is in some way true. Even Tony Campolo in the film sort of quoted Karl Barth that, well, the Bible isn't the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. So we've sort of given up on the Bible being this inerrant Word of God. we got to go to Jesus. But I'm sitting there going, well, how do we know anything about Jesus except what is manifest in the Bible? So what about this idea that the Bible is just full of contradictions? It was written 2,000 years ago, and we can, yeah, I think there are some religious ideas that, that could be truthful, but certainly not historically accurate. Well, again, I'd say a couple of things there. I mean, I think the, the, the temptation to drive a wedge between Jesus and the Bible is, is dangerous, because on the one hand, I, I agree with what Tony's saying. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate, eternal, unchanging word of God. Very much he is. But not merely does the Bible testify to him. If you want to understand and get to know who Jesus is, the starting point is the Gospels. Um, but also, Jesus had the highest authority and highest respect for the Scriptures, 
And so actually, you know, if somebody asked me to give a sort of, you know, two minute argument for why I trust the Bible, I'd start with the Gospels. I'd say the Gospels can be tested historically. I think they're historically reliable. They point to Jesus. And, uh, and once I think you, you come to believe and assert that Jesus died and rose from the grave, which I think the historical evidence for is overwhelming, um, then, of course, I think people who rose from the dead have pretty incredible authority. And then I look at what that Jesus said about the rest of the scriptures, and he took them very seriously. So my whole argument, in a sense, for the, for the authority of Scripture is very much largely founded on, on the view that Jesus had of them. So driving a wedge between them is, is, is foolish. But I think the other thing uh, with once you give up, once you begin to give up on the authority of, of the Bible because, you know, allegedly you found a contradiction or whatever, I want to turn the question around and say, where is your authority located? Because of all of us, all of us make something authoritative. And my question then becomes, OK, if it's not the Bible, what is it? And if it's yourself and your own preferences and your own prejudices, well, what are you going to do about the contradictions in you? Because every human being is is a contradicted is a, is a is a mess of contradictions half the time. So if you uh, if you reject the Bible and you make that the, the authority of your life just your own preferences, your your own ego and everything else, well, if you're going to be consistent, you've got to throw that out the window as well because that's full of a thousand and one contradictions. So my question for somebody who's who's given up on the authority of the Bible is, what have they replaced it with? And I get nervous when I meet people who claim to be to be Christians, um, sort of ending up in a position in sort of peculiar position where they feel they can sit in sort of judgment on the Bible and go, I'll have this bit and not that bit and that Mm -hmm. bit and not this bit. When all they've actually done is substituted the authority of Scripture for the authority of themselves. And they're a flawed and fallen human being with all kinds of mess ups. Bart is almost, you know, again, he's he by the phrase secular humanist in the dictionary would have Bart's picture. He's addressing this issue as why I left Christianity, but it could just as easily be why I embrace secular humanism, placing himself, his own intellect, his own reason, his own wishes and desires at this the very apex of all creation. I think so, and I think it's been remarked, of course, it's a, a sort of slightly sort of almost delicious irony that when people, you know, walk away from the Christian faith, they don't end up with no God, they just make themselves God. And they make themselves the sum arbiter of reality or put themselves at the apex, as you described it. But then it's interesting, you know, just this just this morning uh, before I uh, before I came there, drove down, I walked down into downtown Toronto. I was reading, you know, early couple a couple a couple of chapters in a wonderful new book. There's a great atheist writer who's writing I like a lot. His name is John Gray, G-R-A-Y. And uh, John's just written a book called Seven uh, Types of Atheism. And John's an incredibly well-regarded British atheist writer, a very generous atheist as well. I, you know, one of the wisest atheist writers I know. And in that book, he's got a whole chapter on secular humanism. And he says his problem with secular humanism, he says it's basically sort of living on the decayed corpse of the Christian faith because it's imbibed all the values and all of the kind of uh, virtues that were built on the Christian faith. You know, the idea of the intrinsic value of human life, for example. He said, you know, you can't get that out of the you know, material the universe is made out of. That's a Christian ethic. And in one sense, you've got this, this very strange position that secular humanism is basically a faith, but it's a faith with no foundations. And he offers a very powerful critique in that book of people like Bart, who've basically given up on a Christian faith and think they can carry on as if everything's exactly the same as it was before. Andy, what, what Bart does for a living now, at least he, at the end of the film, is he is an atheist secular minister on the campus of USC, like a, a secular chaplain. That's what he does. And one of my one of my fascinating, you know, one of my sort of questions. I'd love to have, a, you know, I'd love to have the chance for a dialogue with Bob because, I'm like, well, I, you know, there's a whole range of questions right there. One, of course, is, you know, 
why, in a sense, become evangelical about your atheism um, is an interesting question. I mean, not least because if atheism is true, we are just purely determined. We're just a series of atoms and particles, you know, controlled by the laws of physics and chemistry and biology and everything else. But also, I think I'd love to sort of somewhat cheekily ask him a, a few sort of pastoral questions. I'd like to say to him, Bart, you know, if you're faced with a student who's got a you know, massive crisis of self-image, they think they're valueless and worthless and friendless, and you ask a few questions, and it turns out they are. You know, they're studying some completely useless degree. They're completely unpopular. They're no use on the sports field. They really are a useless scrap of humanity. What do you say to them? I bet what you say to them is, no, no, you really have value and dignity. Well, on your secular humanism, where the heck is that coming from? Um, where is that coming from? That's a Christian ethic that says no matter, you know, that you may, you may by every metric we can conceive in the eyes of the world be worthless, still you have value and dignity because you're made in the image of God who, yeah. who creates you. What would you say to them, Bart? I suspect without using the words, he would give them what is effectively a Christian answer. All that to say, my hope for Bart is he may one day come back. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a pattern here. Um, you know, there's a whole other story here. There's often there's a pattern of, of, of the children of high profile Christian leaders sometimes going through this crisis of walking away. And my yes. my hope and prayer for my hope and prayer for Bar, if he is as smart as I think as I think he is, my hope is he's now willing to subject his secular humanism to the same critique Ouch. that he subjected yeah. Christianity to and do a fair comparison. If you're looking for inconsistencies, start. There. If he's not, he's a coward. Um, and my hope is if he's willing to do that then maybe he will discover that actually he hasn't leapt into utopia, but he's discovered he's leapt into something that's utterly vacuous and foundationless, and that there is always room, uh, there's always room in Jesus' household uh, for an errant lost son uh, to come wandering back again. Are you ready to go to the next rung on the corporate ladder? We are so proud of the professional advancement that our alumni have experienced as a result of obtaining their degree from Howard Payne University. As you can hear, no one ever succeeded musically, but several other professions have done quite well. And if I might add, there is no bayou anywhere near Brownwood, Texas, and yet that's the opening line of the alma mater. Josh, you can stop now. Oh. Stop. I was singing our alma mater. I know. And we are so proud to both be alums of Howard Payne University. And we're even more excited about the new campus in New Bromville, Texas, just north of San Antonio, just south of Austin, a brand new campus for Howard Payne where people are advancing their careers. If you want more information about HPU New Bromville, you can go to hputx.edu backslash NB. And by the way, You've heard it, right? The advanced degrees, you get to know the professors and the academic advisors, you can pick up and be non-traditional student. It's in between Austin and San Antonio. New Braunfels as a town is fantastic. If you are thinking about a degree and you live in the Central Texas area, you have to check them out. A master's degree in an inner tube. Just remember that. <laughs> you can also, besides their website, you can also visit them on Instagram and Twitter at HPUNB. Facebook is HPUTX New Braunfels, and then you can give them a call at 830-629-2366. Stingham Jackets win. I would like to close by saying your love I affair with love Andy. I love Andy Bannister. I wish I had an English accent. Because everyone knows how brilliant I am, but sometimes I don't sound like it. Mm. And it's not what I say is the problem. It's how I say it. If I just had an English accent, mm. then people would respect me. Mm. 
this is one that I think all of us at some point are going to be hit with. And of course, the only reason we're doing this is because there's going to come a day when your children are going to want to have this discussion. There are days right now that you have family, neighbors, people that you work with that have these issues. How arrogant are you to say that you're a Christian, you're the only one that's going to go to heaven? Universalism. There's no way that God can be all-powerful and all-loving with the kind of evil that we have in the world. These questions are going to come up, and certainly today's will. Bart Campolo struggled with the reliability of the Bible as being a source of authority. Can the Bible be considered true? What we have to understand, and my, me walking away and just kind of big-picturing this one is, I go back to brilliant people, brilliant, 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 brilliant people have looked at the Bible and concluded that it is true and factual. There's been no archaeological find that's ever been found that disproved the Bible. It just substantiates the Bible. Isaac Asimov, the great science fiction writer, years ago wrote a book, 5,000-some-odd contradictions in the Bible, which is, of course, ludicrous. Because if you could just say, oh, well, the Bible is so untrustworthy, an entire book was written about how untrustworthy it is, it would not have stood for the past 2,000 years. So there's a reason that it's still here. There's a reason that it hasn't been debunked, and it's because it has proven itself to be accurate in what it's saying. I love it when he said that we like to think of ourselves as smart, sophisticated, and wise, and yet Scripture comes along and says that we're not. I think foundationally that's why we try to pick apart the Bible, want to say, well, I disagree with it here, so we'll kind of leave this out. I like this over here. We like the things that we already agree with. It's the stuff that disagrees with us that makes us want to leave it out and call it not true. It's like how presumptuous, I liked his take, you know, how presumptuous is it to assume that the incarnate Word of God that has stood for two millennia has to say the things that completely and totally, without exception, agree with everything that I think, that it has to conform to 21st century American culture. I love how he says how the Bible has always challenged all cultures. You know, he says, okay, in America, we're going to say, well, you know, the Bible is true when it comes to human dignity and freedom and worth, but here in the West, uh, we think it's wrong on the whole uh, sexuality thing. Well, you go over to the Middle Eastern countries, and they're going to go, it's absolutely right about the sexual things. Uh, in fact, it doesn't go far enough, he said, but... On the human freedom and dignity thing, yeah, not so much. So here's the exact same Bible, two different cultures claiming parts are true and false. It can never be. The Bible was never Correct. intended to be filtered through the lens of our absolutely myopic current culture. Correct. It was actually intended to be interpreted through the culture of 2,000 years ago. Yes. And longer with the Old Testament. But then the application being certainly something that we can apply today. To wrap this one up, for me, probably the greatest help you'll ever have, and I keep going back to Lee Strobel, but he's just put up such great resources. Uh, we've already suggested uh, a case for faith, the eight big questions that have haunted Christianity for a couple of millennia. We've suggested that for our other topics. But today, his, his first book, A Case for Christ, and by the way, if you haven't seen that movie, that's a really good Christian movie. And I'm not a huge fan of Christian movies, but that was a really good one. But his book, A Case for Christ, why do we trust the Bible? What makes it different from the Book of Mormon or the Koran? What makes it different? 
And Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Christ, does an amazing job of saying why exactly we can trust the Bible. If you want more information about this show and or previous episodes, it's paradoxpodcast.com. You can find our socials there as well. We appreciate you guys for listening and hope you have a good rest of your day. See ya. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com.